Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of One Accord. Today, we are talking about what I think is potentially one of, if not the most divisive issues in local church ministry. And it's going to highlight who is actually the most influential theologian in your local church. And here's a quick hint. It isn't your pastor. But uh, before we get into it, let's go ahead and introduce our team. And so uh, Pastor Eric Love is with us again this morning. Pastor Eric, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right, Joe. And uh, this is an important topic, and uh, so many people are, everybody's affected by this. So I think we really need to need to get this squared away. Yep, no doubt. And I think this is one of those things that everybody's affected by, but maybe uh, a lot of people don't think about nearly as much as some of the other things on our list. So I'm excited to get into it with you guys. And uh, before we do that, though, let's bring in our, our other team member, Brother Greg, how, you, how are you today? I'm doing great. Good morning, guys. Good to see you as always. And so um, as we uh, get in, well, we're, we're talking to about the issue of music. Some people think that that only affects those who you know play instruments or have a good singing voice. But Brother Eric, as you just mentioned, this is something that affects every single person. And um, when I say that it is, I believe, the potentially most divisive issue, uh, the reality of that is that if you go around and drive down the street, we are all aware of the, the denominational impact, the theological divide that exists in the body of Christ, because you'll have you know, different churches on every local corner. And uh, yet when we see these individual places where Christians meet that agree on the doctrinal statement, we can even see divides within those congregations themselves where you have an early service with a, you know, maybe a, a traditional music style and then a later service with a contemporary music style. And those two groups, even within the same congregation, same leaders, same elders, same pastors, same doctrinal statements, same everything, those groups will not mix because the, the music style itself can divide even that same body. And so that's a pretty powerful thing. I've also noticed that if you make any changes to your music program, that can really ruffle some feathers, even in surprising ways. And yet, in my experience, a lot of people don't think about it that much. Do you guys spend a lot of time? I mean, as far as I know, neither of you guys are musicians. I don't know that either of you serve on the music team, but maybe you have a, a talent that I'm unaware of. Um, but do you guys spend a lot of time thinking about music or is that something that is kind of an afterthought for you? Yeah, I, I definitely have no talents that you're not aware of, um, <laughs> which amounted very few talents to begin with. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I would actually say that I spend more time thinking about the music in church than I do the sermon. And maybe that's because, um, maybe because I trust my pastor and I, you know, I, I, I don't have to scrutinize the things he says, but for sure it, it has been my experience, you know, that, that church that you just described that divides itself based upon traditional versus contemporary music. That was a context that I lived for many years. Um, another church that I attended, um, there is, there was a gentleman who kind of saw himself as the king of the church. And he made the comment one time, you know, it'll be over my dead body before we have drums in this church. And uh, he said that with no irony. He said it with, it wasn't a humorous statement. He really felt that the king has I, spoken. The king has spoken. <laughs> I thought, man, somebody did die for this church and it surely isn't you. And, and God has, has no negative things to say about drums. So, but yes, for sure. I, I agree. This probably is the most divisive and and maybe unfortunately I spend more time than I should thinking about it. Well, I'm actually glad to hear that you think about it a lot. And um, but you know the the reality is is that uh, drums will kind of make it into this discussion. But we're not going to talk specifically about drums. We're going to be talking more about just kind of a an underlying philosophy and theology of music. And it will approach issues 
that unfortunately are very divisive that I'm with you. I've been reading the Bible for a while. I can't see a place where the Lord said, thou, thus saith the Lord, thou shall not have drums on stage, right? That, that's not a, a spot that I found. But man, I know that that can, that can really irritate a lot of people and ruffle a lot of feathers. Uh, what about you, Pastor Eric? I, again, I, I don't know that I've ever, I've listened to a lot of your sermons, but I don't know that I've ever attended in person uh, with you. I can't think, don't think that I have. Um, so are you like a part of the worship team or do you kind of do the preaching and then you got somebody else doing the music? How, how does that look for you guys in your local context? My situation is a little bit interesting because while I am not on the worship team, I do play the guitar and I'm considering uh, joining our, our guitar player with um, some other people to get more of a quote unquote band going um, mm. and uh, a band that would play worship music, uh, church appropriate music. Um, on Sunday mornings. So I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm trying to like figure out whether I'm going to be committed to that or not, <laughs> because uh, practicing songs every week is a huge commitment. I have a lot of respect for musicians that, that play in the church, that practice, that put in all the time and effort to master their instrument, to master the song that they're playing so they can play it in a, you know, uh, an appropriate way and in a way that's honoring to God. So I have a lot of respect for musicians and I think they, they have a big responsibility. Um, so I've, I've thought a lot about music in, in the church context. Uh, and I think I've, because I pastored the church, I've been forced to, to think about it maybe more than I've wanted to at times, uh, because we've had some, we've had some issues, uh, some, I'll say disagreements or different preferences about music. So yes, I have, I've had to think about this subject quite a bit. So did you think much about it before that, or is that more of a reactive kind of thing? Like these issues came up and then you, you, you found yourself being forced to deal with some of these, you know, issues that were going on. I definitely thought about it before, but I would say not as much as I've had to think about it, you know, the past few years, uh, because music is, as we'll talk about in a minute, music is, it's, it's a lot bigger deal than, than what most people probably think. And yes. it influences people, uh, a lot more than probably even more than the sermon does. Um, and and yeah. there's, there's exceptions to that rule, but uh, that's probably true. The most influential theologian, I believe in the church is not the pastor. It's not the sermon. It's whoever picks the songs. And because uh, the, the power of music, we've all experienced it. You know, you get a song stuck in your head. There are songs that I listened to back in the eighties and nineties when I was growing up that I, I know every single word to, and that at any moment of any day can, all of a sudden take over my mind, uh, whether I want it to or not. And yet I know for a fact that even the most moving of sermons, people will walk out the back door and they'll forget 80 to 90% of the words that I said almost immediately, never to remember them ever again. If you want, if you want proof of that, um, you know, ask someone what the sermon was about last week versus how many contemporary versus hymns you sang. And I bet you they're going to be able to tell you, you know, when their last favorite, when, when the, uh, their favorite song was sung last but they yeah. won't tell you what the sermon was about. It is something that people should think a lot more about. Um, one more just logistical question, because again, I want to just set the context a little bit, but Greg, do you, or not Greg, uh, Eric, do you um, talk much with the song leaders? Like, I know you're thinking about maybe joining the band and stuff, but like, is there much conversation between you and the music leader about the song choices and what you're preaching and what they're singing? Or is that kind of a, uh, you guys show up and are kind of surprised by what the other person is doing. How does that look somewhere, in, somewhere in the middle? We definitely discuss it. I would say it's probably uh, maybe more in the middle, but yeah, we definitely have discussed um, what songs 
we we feel are uh, worthy of church and and what songs are not. And obviously, you know, James, who J- there's James and Mike and Alice, and they they basically they they play the music, and um, I've never heard them play anything that I thought was uh, you know was offensive or, or inappropriate. Uh, sure. So I I, tr- I trust their judgment, but we have discussed it though, like because we know there are. There's some. There's obviously music out there that some Christians uh, are not comfortable with for, and for understandable reasons. So we've, our our philosophy is, if if there's a song that is questionable, and that that some might understandably be offended by, we do not play. Uh, we don't play that song. We're trying to we're trying to keep peace, and unity. And I don't feel that it's right to just to play a song that. It has a chance of of offending people, and we just want to avoid that. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. We've kind of settled into something similar, kind of based on that. Um, I'll call it the weaker brother principle, right? If there's something that I have the freedom that I could listen to, that I could be edified by, uh, could participate in, and not think that I was sinning, but I know that it causes maybe somebody else to stumble, I would not do that. Um, however, it's interesting to try and think about that. Would that also apply to instrumentation? Because Brother Greg mentioned drums. Some people really don't like that. So does that mean we should never use drums? Some people have problems. If you go beyond the organ or the uh, the piano. So bringing on a guitar or a bass guitar. Um, you know, there there are those lines are in different spots for every single person. So if we like apply that logically consistently, do we just have to have one person standing up there singing? You know, singing hymns, no screens. Some people I've even seen that are offended. They'll say the over my dead body thing. If you take the the words out of the hymnal and put them on a screen, that that is, you know, that's the devil's, that's the devil's work. Um, where do you draw the lines? How can you, how can you navigate some of these issues and where do you, and this is a, I mean, it's a complicated question. How do you know which one of those we just say, well, look, if you're going to have a problem with this, um, you're going well beyond scripture as opposed to okay, this song maybe is questionable. I mean, is there a, a way of navigating that at case-by-case basis? Do you have a, a kind of a policy in your mind? How, how do you deal with stuff like that? My, my thought on this is if there's one person who is trying to hijack some aspect of the church, like the music or something, uh, and no one else feels the same way, and, and their feelings are not you know, really supported by Scripture, um, that it, the, the, that problem is that person's problem not the church's problem Hmm. and that person needs to needs to do some you know self-examination to figure out uh why they feel this way some people some people might not even know why they feel that way they just know they do so i think if there's if there's just one person who's kind of making a stink about it and they um you know they're they're not their opinions are not supported by scripture it's just it's just an opinion uh, then that that needs to be um, that needs to be considered, and that person needs to really take a look at themselves. Now, if there's a whole if the, if there's a a whole bunch of people who are are all I would say maybe if, let's say offended by a particular song or something, or maybe there's an instrument that they don't want played in the church. Um, you know, I guess the question is why do so many why are so many people against this and mm-hmm. Are there legitimate reasons for their concern? Do they have are there are there biblical reasons or not? Um, but uh, we had an issue where there was a particular song that was uh, that was being played on the radio, and it was really really popular. Uh, you guys know the song, or at least you've 
you've heard the song, you probably don't listen to the song, uh, but the Reckless Love song. And of course, every church was affected by that, uh, by that song. As a matter of fact, we actually had a discussion about it at our denominational yearly meeting. This was brought up at, at yearly meeting. And, um, and I, as I, as I listened to the song, I could completely understand why people would be offended by it. Um, it was not a good choice of words. It was, it was not appropriate. I didn't think, I thought it was, I, I, I don't like, uh, when, when song lyrics have to be explained with a doctoral dissertation, like, you know, when you, when you hear songs and when you hear the lyrics of songs, it should be obvious what the meaning is. There should be no, I mean, obviously, like maybe some people might misunderstand. I don't know, but it should be, it should be fairly obvious what the meaning of the lyrics are. And I, I personally don't like it when uh, someone has to like sit down and give an hour long explanation for why they chose the lyrics they did. If they have to do that, something's wrong. So, um, but, so that song was offensive and we, um, and it was offensive to, to a lot of people and I could understand why. And for those reasons, we decided to not play that song in the church. What if I told you we went the other way? That's all we sing. We just sing that five or six times. And then the, no, I'm just kidding. Of course not. Uh, Greg, sorry, you're about oh. to say something meaningful. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that was meaningful. So I'm glad yeah. you said it. Um, so I don't, uh, I want to preface what I'm about to say with saying, I don't think you're not saying this, or I, I don't think you would disagree with this, but what I don't hear us saying i hear a lot about oh we don't want to offend people and what people are offended by but what we're doing on sunday morning is gathering to worship god mm -hmm. and so the question i would want to go back to is what we are seeing is it worshipful and if someone is offended by what what we're trying to worship god with um, are we taking everything back to a biblical standard is it true is it right is it um, is it aligned with God's word? And if it is, um, especially as pastors, I would think that you would want to say, listen, if you're offended by this good, right, biblically aligned thing, um, we have some work to do with you. If, if what we're singing isn't true, right, good, and in line with bibl clear biblical teaching, then there's something wrong with us and we need to stop doing that. Um, you know, there are songs that we sing in church and, um, you know, I, I, I don't like, um, and, and perhaps I could make an argument for why they're not biblical. And so, you know, my wife, um, she's very uh, in tune with, with me and, you know, a couple of weeks will go by and she'll say, Hey, are you not singing that one line on purpose? She's like, every time we sing that song, your lips just stop moving. Then, like, Yeah. You know, you're absolutely right. Um, because I don't feel comfortable with it. Um, but yeah, I guess I would just want to place the emphasis, and I, and I don't think you're not doing this, but I want to place the emphasis on is what we are doing in line with what we see in Scripture and worshiping God as he is, as he deserves, and yeah. not about do you like it, do I like it, do more people. It's, it's not a democracy. We, yeah. we are not dealing with a democratic process here as far as I'm concerned. So this is one of those areas that, again, kind of piggybacking on what we talked about before. Um, you know, if we're going to be proactive rather than reactive, we want to, I think, if we want to have a healthy church, we want to have a system in place that allows us to help us make these decisions because who knows when the next song is going to come out like Reckless Love that all of a sudden is going to hijack our, our denominational meetings and make all this extra conversation. 
I like to have something that's a little bit more proactive that helps me to filter this stuff out where we just, we make a very easy decision. And, and in our local context, we actually weren't affected by that song very much because that song just was never going to make it on the radar for a number of different reasons. It just gets filtered out and, um, for better or worse, you know, and, and, um, Maybe there are some people who would be upset, you know, that we don't play the popular songs. But again, we're not trying to uh, cater to the consumeristic mindset. I'm not trying to treat the, the people who sit in our pews or our chairs like they're, um, they're consumers of some product that I'm offering to them. Greg, you said it. At, at the heart of it, a healthy church, we are gathering together to worship God. I'm not, we're not here to sing the songs that I like. We're not here to sing the songs that you like. We are here to sing songs in worship and praise of our God who loved us and who saved us by sending his son for us and for our salvation. And so I want to talk with you guys about this framework. My, my framework, um, just like we had with the teaching one, I've got on this particular one, I've got three major points. It's going to hit on the issues that you guys have brought up, maybe cause us to talk about some other things as well. Um, before we dive into the, the, the first main point, I just want to um, lay out, you know, I don't do any music. I am amazed, you know, that uh, <laughs> Eric, you say that you're going to maybe play the guitar. I'm at this point in my life convinced that playing the guitar is impossible. I think there's like some sorcery going on. I don't know how anybody can make a good noise out of that thing. My son tries to get me to learn the guitar and I've tried on, on multiple different occasions. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's impossible, but I believe that you say it is possible. I've seen other people do it, but I, I can't do it. I am not a musician. Um, and Yet I think about music a lot. Um, I am, I, because of the fact I know that the songs that we sing are so influential, um, because of the reality that, that people will leave. I don't know that anybody's ever left singing my sermons, but they leave singing the songs all the time. I know that these things will stick with them all week. Um, I know the power of music. I'm also influenced by the fact that when I read through God's word, the longest book in the, in the scriptures is the book of Psalms. The songbook, this, this, this theo theological hymn book um, and most of these Psalms, they, they read very differently than a lot of our music does. There's a lot of history in there. Um, in fact, I'm persuaded that not only is the longest book a book of music, the longest chapter, Psalm 119, is a book of music, but it's not just these, these things. When God brought his people through the Red Sea, the first thing that they did is they sang a song to remember this historical act of God, to, to sing of the, the mighty deeds of God. When God was about to bring them into the promised land, again, Moses teaches them a song. And God said specifically, when you turn away from me, when you forget me, when you begin to disobey the covenant, this song will be a testimony against you. And so God knew that you're going to forget all these laws that I'm giving. You're going to forget other things, but you won't forget the song. The song itself will persist. It will serve as a, a testimony. It, hold and on, so I, want to I want to interject. Okay, go ahead. S psalm 119, longest psalm in the mm -hmm. longest book of the Bible. And to your point, what is that psalm about? It's well, about the God's beauty of God, God's law. Yep. God, yep. It's about how right and how good and how just God's laws are, his precepts, his commandments. And so, yeah, no, yeah, very powerful. And so then in the New Testament, we see the same kind of thing. You know, the, there are passages here and there that it's easy to skip over um, before Jesus was betrayed, you know, and he, after he had the, the last supper with his disciples, they sang a hymn before they went out. Um, but then in the New Testament, Paul talks uh, in both the book of Ephesians and Colossians that Christians, all Christians, were supposed to speak to one another, even admonishing one another and encouraging one another uh, in uh, hymns and spiritual songs and these kinds of things. And so it's all throughout scripture, the power of music. Um, we know it experientially, Christian or not, you know the power of music. And so I think about these things a lot. I'm blessed to have a, a music leader. Um, he and I have had, um, you know, theological conversations. We're, we're kind of operating within the same 
framework. I don't know that if, if he was here that he would articulate it exactly the way that I'm going to articulate it now, but um, we kind of have put these filters in place. Um, we don't sing songs unless they are um, approved by leadership. So anytime there's going to be a new song, um, he'll, he'll kind of run that through this mechanism of just approving it. But then, you know, he's, he selects the songs and I'm so blessed to have him. Um, we've been having more members join the team, people using their gifts for that. And so um, that's going to kind of lead me to the, the first main point of uh, this framework is that I think that we should have gifted leadership in the music. That doesn't seem revolutionary to many people. Um, but when I say gifted, what I mean is spiritually gifted over talent. Um, there are some churches, uh, I don't think either of you guys attend a church like this. I don't, but uh, there are some churches that prioritize talent over spiritual gifting. And, and there are many places that are even willing to um, uh, hire non-believers just because of their musical talent and ability. Um, I think that is a mistake. Um, I do not want one of the most, if not the most influential people in our ministry to be a non-Christian leading the worship service. To me, that seems um, worldly, mean, crazy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and so um, I think that spiritually gifted musical leadership is important, that that should be the priority over talent. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, I would rather, I would rather sit under slightly less polished worship music having sound rock solid theology being sung then then go for the go for the show absolutely um i would say this i've heard the argument that the worship leader by default of the fact that he's the worship leader ought to or is an elder and i would i would disagree with that but i would say this that the the, the worship leader ought to at least be elder qualified unquestionably I, I think we've all seen it. You know, you go on, you know, we go on Indeed now or a job search and, you know, searching for a worship pastor for like, my goodness, you're crazy. Absolutely. Absolutely insane to do that. Well, the music director is definitely a biblical position. There's so many Psalms that are addressed to the music director, you know, so having this director of music, um, whether they should bear those spiritual qualifications or not, I, I, I think uh, I'm with you. You do want a uh, you want someone who, if they're overseeing something that is so influential, um, it's hard to disagree that music in some sense teaches. So if they're, if they're selecting songs, picking songs, this is a teaching ministry, um, just one that is uh, uh, persistently uh, stuck in your mind. So uh, perhaps the most important teaching ministry. But Eric, what do you, what do you think? Do you think uh, prioritizing spiritually gifted, like, is that, is that something that we can have on the, you know, if we were putting up the, the job description on Indeed, like, you, you ought to be spiritually gifted. I'm not asking you to send me a, you know, a, your, your best riff on the guitar. I'm, I'm talking about your spiritual gifting from the Lord. I don't know how it could be any other way. I, I think yeah. that has to be the top thing that they, this person who's, who's leading the worship, uh, they, they have to have the discernment to recognize what songs are honoring to God and what songs are biblical and also what songs are not. Uh, so when I said earlier that, um, you know, we, you know, we did, me and James and, and others discuss, you know, what songs we're going to sing. I mean, I don't always, of course, we don't always discuss that because I know that James is somebody who has the maturity, the spiritual insight to recognize whether a song is, uh, is honoring to God or not. So I, I trust him with that. Um, he, uh, he has the discernment to to do that. And that's, that has to be present in a 
in a, uh, a worship leader. Um, they, they have to have a heart after God, and they have to be focused on bringing God glory, not themselves. Um, I think I, I, a talent is, is great. Um, if, if people have the talent and they're really good at what they do, they're really good at their instrument, and they can honor God uh, by playing it, that's great. I think that's, that's great. But I, I think talent, it doesn't take uh, a higher seat than having a heart that longs to, to honor God. So that, that has to be the first priority. This person has to have a heart that longs to worship and honor God. And if they don't have that, they have no business being a part of the worship team. Yeah, so I, I fully agree with that. Um, let's talk a little bit about what it means to be spiritually gifted uh, in in worship, um, because uh, I think some of the description that you're describing, someone who has a discernment to know if the song is worshiping God, someone who has a heart to worship God, someone who who you know has these these particular things, I think I could fit that, but I'm not spiritually gifted in worship for sure. So, do, what does it mean to be spiritually gifted um, in worship, like to be a spiritually gifted leader in this? Is it just about discernment? Um, is there is there more that we can add to this qualification? Because again, I have a definition in my mind, but I'm curious to hear what you guys think uh, about when you think about the ideally spiritually gifted person. Certainly, Eric, I agree with everything you said. I think that that is a huge part of it. I would add a few more things to it, but you know, Greg, you have other thoughts in your mind of what a spiritually gifted uh, worship leader looks like? This is perhaps the first time I thought of this, but I would, I would say talent is surely part of that, right? Um, you know, as I think of as the tabernacle was being built, God gave a portion of his spirit. And I'm going to forget the, the guy's name, Joe. You'll have it off the top of your head, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, he, he invested his spirit into these people who were talented in particular things. And so um, I don't want to take away the fact that somebody ought to be talented if they're going to be standing there, um, standing up, leading the congregation in worship. because if we're just focused on discernment and wisdom, um, good things, want those, um, and we aren't focused at all on talent, it could be a, it could be a distraction in the other way. It could, it could be dishonoring because the chords aren't played right. And the, the congregation is uh, just in a bit of chaos. So I would, while it's not the primary, it's not the first, it surely is. It is high on the list. Yeah, no, I agree with that. That's the kind of the, the flip side to this. Because that's why I shouldn't lead worship in our in our place under any circumstance. Because I might have the discernment to pick the right songs, and I might under have the any heart circumstance. To <laughs> but you do not want to put the microphone in front of me when I'm singing, um, and it's just not. I am not a spiritually gifted worship leader. It helps me to really appreciate those members of the body that are spiritually gifted for that, and that's why they should be put to that prominent place, and I should rescind into the background for sure during the the musical worship because I do not have that talent, and I become a distraction. Yeah, another thing that I would, as I'm considering this, another thing that I would say is, um, I would want a um, a worship leader, someone who I look at and I see joy overflowing. Um, you know, Joe, you and I are enough alike that I don't think either one of us look at each other and go, "Wow, that guy's just overflowing with joy," and yeah. you know, but but I think as someone who's directing the congregation. That's, I think it's an important quality. And, and again, not that you and I shouldn't be joyful. We should be. Um, but I think it's particularly more important for the worship leader to have that as, as he's carrying out his ministry. Greg's right. They have to be skilled in their instrument. Uh, the Bible says, play skillfully to the Lord. Uh, hmm. 
don't play sloppily to the Lord. Uh, that's not respectful and it's not honoring. Um, that doesn't mean you have to be perfect and be wonderful at it, but you you need to you need to be qualified in that way. You have to have a heart that longs to worship God. And I think you you really do have to you have to have you have to be a worshiper yourself. Hmm. You have to you have to worship God in your life before you come to worship Him Sunday morning through the music. You have to have a, a worshiper's heart, and worship I think is something that in our lives has to be practiced. Uh, worship, and I think worship and joy, as kind of like Greg was saying, and I think he's right about this, worship and joy kind of go hand in hand. And it's interesting that in in ancient Israel, uh, there were these um, festivals that you had to participate in. They, they were mandatory festivals. You And the festival involved celebrating. So you, in other words, God's like, God's basically saying, I'm requiring you to celebrate me and what I've done for you. And um, and so they, in a sense, he was training them to be joyful, celebratory people by practicing engaging in these festivals. And I think we have to do the same as we have to we have to practice uh, joy. And I think a, a worship leader is somebody who has disciplined themselves in the practice of joy. And they they're a joyful person. They're a worshiper, uh, you know, Monday through Saturday. And then when they come to to lead worship on Sunday, that that joy, as Greg says, overflows through the music and and is contagious, and it, it rubs off on other people as the the songs are are being sung. You say disciplined yourself for joy. I think of somebody like self flagellation beating themselves. That's not what you're <laughs> be saying. Happy. Just, be, 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 Smile. Be happy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Discipline yeah. has some no, negative connotations. I, 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 yeah, I, I know totally that's not what you're that. saying. <laughs> uh, dis discipline, uh, discipline, of course, can have a very positive thing. Uh, and um, so, of course, that's what Eric means. He's not talking about flagellating themselves. <laughs> Self-torture. Um, yeah. Uh, so this is, you know, Greg, you've talked about this. I've talked about this uh, many times. You know, the, the narrow path of truth is flanked on both sides by error. I don't want to go to one side of the error and say, I don't care about spiritual qualifications. I don't care about discernment. I just want the most talented person I can get. Other churches kind of go the other direction, though, and say, well, it's all about the heart. It has nothing to do with the skill, has nothing to do with that. And I think both of those errors should be avoided. Um, you know, if you got somebody who's standing up there um, sounding like you're beating a cat into a microphone, uh, trying to lead the, the, the congregation in worship, uh, it's terrible. It's a terrible thing. And that person might uh, be making a joyful noise in their heart, but they are not making a, a pleasant sound. They're not singing with skillful, <laughs> uh, you know, they're not making skillful music. And the best thing we could do is just have them join the congregation, take the microphone away from them and put somebody else who is a spiritually gifted leader to do that. And, and before anybody thinks that I'm you know, picking on musicians and I'm not a musician or whatever, I would say the same thing about a teacher. You know, some, yeah, some right. guy might have the, the heart to teach, but he can't string a sentence together. You can't follow a train of thought. He never finishes a, an idea or a story. You have no idea what he's talking about. That guy, the best thing he could do is just sit down. And, and if you get the skill to actually communicate, now you can be a communicator of God's word. And so, um, you know, the, the, the heart is important. I want to add one more thing and just kind of get your guys' thoughts about this. And this is, it's maybe a little bit subjective. Um, and I don't know that there's a biblical definition for this. It's similar to Greg, what you said earlier, that you, you would rather have someone who's, whose heart is obviously in it rather than someone who's just technically skilled. I have had the, the pleasure of sitting, you know, in worship services where somebody is leading worship that is able to just kind of, um, I have no better way to describe it. They just, they take me with them. You know, sometimes you enter in, you're, you're like distracted. 
or you got other things on your mind. Um, and, and of course we bear, just like with teaching, we bear responsibility for our own spiritual life. The, the more active I can, if I don't walk in five minutes late, but if I come in 10 minutes early and I'm not so worried about, you know, all the things I got to do later, but I'm, I'm, I'm praying and I'm getting myself ready to worship God. Um, anybody who's up there, I ought to be able to get more out of. However, there are some people who, whether I want to or not, it seems like once they get going, they're just taking me with them. It's almost like a preacher who is like, um, Haddon Robinson talks about this. There's, there's preachers that you can listen to. There's preachers that you can't listen to. And then there's preachers that you must listen to. And he dedicated his life to trying to study to, to, to become a preacher that you must listen to. I'm sure we've sat under teachers like that. We've heard sermons like that. They, they just grab a hold of your heart. It's like they grab you by the shirt and they just put you up against the wall. And the whole time they're preaching, they could preach for two hours. And you think it's like a 20 minute message. You're like, why are they stop? I just wanted to keep going. I feel like there are certain worship leaders that, that they can do that. And it's not necessarily about their technical skill, but just their love for the Lord, their heart for the Lord, their joy. They just bring you with them. And that's what I, I, I like. I don't know how to define that. Yeah, The, um, the divines in the past would have called that unction. Um, sure, and, and that's a very hard word to define, and as you said, very subjective, maybe even dangerously subjective sure. at times. Um, but yes, much like a preacher, um, or again, as Martin Lloyd Jones described it, uh, logic on fire. We need to bring that fire. The, the worship leader needs to bring that fire, and maybe we call it passion, maybe we call it unction. Um, but there is something you, you can tell when a guy's standing up there going through the motions, whether it's preaching or whether it's singing. And I think the the passionate approach to God in worship is important hmm. without turning it all into emotion. Right. Yeah, the spiritual gifting in my mind goes beyond the natural talent. It goes beyond what you can what you can necessarily define. And I think a spiritually gifted teacher, they might they might say something the same way that a regular teacher, you know, somebody else who, who understands it just fine, but for whatever reason it clicks with people. And I, I don't I can't explain that. Um, and sometimes it's not even the person who is the most eloquent. Sometimes the most eloquent person, they say things and people go, wow, that was deep, but it doesn't make any difference in their life. And then you got this just simple presentation of something and it, it changes people's lives. And you go, that, that's, that goes beyond the, the oratory ability. It's, it goes beyond the natural talent. There's something else there that gives God glory to use it's the Holy spirit at work, right? Yes. To that's use, what we're talking about. To use about the it. instruments that he has appointed for this task. And so I would think that the person that is going to be leading the worship should have that ability to lead in that way and not just, you know, I've, I've, I don't know, I've attended worship services that are nothing more than a concert. You know, it's just your, the talent of the person is on display, but I'm not sure that anybody's really worshiping. Um, and, and yet I've, I've been in places where you say that this person is not the most technically gifted. Um, maybe they only know like six chords and that's plenty to sing most worship songs or something. Um, but they just, man, it, it just, we're worshiping the Lord. And it's not just me. It's like everybody we are, we are, we are, we are singing to God and, and praising him. And it's a beautiful thing. So Eric, you agree with that? Again, I know it can be, it's like dangerously, nebulously undefined, but there is some, I mean, we're not just propositions and thoughts. There is, there is emotion and feeling, you know, in, in our spiritual life. And I think that this person, not just their joy, but their their giftedness to help us worship God. I, I want someone to help me worship God. And I think a gifted worship leader will do that um, kind of wherever I'm at on Sunday morning. I totally agree. I, I think it, uh, when you look at a worship leader and you you look at 
the way they're worshiping. And, and like you said, it's not just what they're saying. Uh, because I can say something on Sunday morning and people go, oh, okay. And then the worship leader can say something. It's the same idea, but just expressed in a different way. And everyone's going, wow. Wow. And, and I, Life-changing. Yeah, life-changing. And I'm going, well, I said the same thing. Why, 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 why is it that when I said the same thing, it didn't mean anything. But when they, when James said it, it blew your mind. Um, and I, I think well, that we it's like just, James a lot better. Yeah, I, I and understandably so. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I don't. I, I think and Greg probably nailed it when he's. It's just I, the Holy Spirit just is doing something in them. When Eric, I said that too. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> no, you didn't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, and and I, I don't. I get so frustrated with this sometimes because, like, I'll say something, and then like. You know, a little while later, someone else says something and they're going and the people are like, oh, my goodness, that just changed my life. And I'm like, yeah, were you here last week when I said yeah. the same thing? Um, but anyway, but I think that when you're when you're watching a worship leader and you're, you're watching them worship, it's almost like you're not there and mm. they're worshiping God by themselves. And I realize it's not. Of course, it's not really that way, but like they're lost in their own worship of God. And you want to follow. It's like you said, I'm, I'm, I'm just imitating you, Joe. Um, you, you want to follow them because where they're going, you want to be. And yeah. there's just, there's something, some people are just able to do that. Mm -hmm. And they just, they there's have people that can gift pray that like other that. people don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, this would, have, this would apply to any spiritual gifting, I think. That the, the spiritual gifting is a benefit to others, that they are using that to serve us, to lead us. And so... Of course, with the music, I think we ought to want that. We ought to want a spiritually gifted teacher and a spiritually gifted prayer leader. I mean, the, the, anybody who has a spiritual gift is going to be a benefit to the body. It's for the edification of others. There are people who, you know, God bless them. There are some people who, who slog you through a corporate prayer. Mm. And there are some people, they start praying and you, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, these, this man, this woman has spent time praying to God. Um, and it is particularly moving as the Holy Spirit is working through them. It, it, it's almost like, um, it's almost like when, when someone is worshiping God, when, when a worship leader is worshiping God uh, on Sunday morning, you can tell, you can, you just, you just know that this person is sincere about this. You just, you can just tell we, uh, and I, you know, I guess some people could, could fake it really well, but you you can usually tell, okay, this person really does know God. This person has experience worshiping God. This is not something they're like trying to counterfeit on Sunday morning. This is something that you can you could see this, and you can imagine them doing this in their life um, leading up to Sunday morning. I think you mm -hmm. just have to see. There has to be a genuineness about it. I think usually people can tell whether it's genuine or not, or wh whether someone's just trying to showcase their musical talents, or whether they're trying to just bring you right into the presence of God. I just like to, well, you said counterfeit. And I guess to give the benefit of the doubt, let's say manufacture instead. In my mind, when I hear someone, you know, it's counterfeit, it's, it's fake. Um, it sounds, I guess that sounds a little more negative than I would want to express it. Um, just like anything else, like I can, I can try to manufacture a healthy prayer life. Um, but a healthy prayer life needs to be grown through the Holy spirit. So I, I would just want to use a little bit kinder term there. So I think that, um, you know, this, this first aspect, the, the, the number one of these three points in this uh, framework, at least the way that I think about it, is gifted leadership. Um, this should be hopefully evident 
gifted is not prioritizing talent, but it's actually prioritizing spiritual giftedness. But that doesn't mean that we pay zero attention to talent. Someone who is spiritually gifted, someone who is growing this, this is a part of their life. They are going to put in the time and the energy, just like a teacher is going to be spending time reading their Bible and, and, and putting those things together. Likewise, uh, uh, someone who's leading in music is going to be putting some time, you know, maybe their, their, their instrument is simply their voice, but they're going to be practicing that. They're going to be worshiping the Lord. And so then it's going to be evident and they're going to be able to lead others. That's the number one thing. And for anybody who thinks that, oh no, we've you know, veered dangerously into feelings, territory, and subjective things, and this is all about emotions or whatever else, that leads us very naturally into my second point of this framework, that um, I believe that our music ministry overall needs to be very content focused. So um, we need to focus on good theology and not popularity. And it's this aspect of the framework that at least caused me, you know, I'm not a part of a denomination, um, but at least caused us in our local church, we didn't have to really spend any time talking about reckless love because it was obvious from the get-go to all of us, myself, our other elders, to our music director, this doesn't have good theology in it. So quite frankly, we don't care how popular it is. There was zero draw, zero uh, intentionality from any of us to think about adding this to the slate of songs because we just thought, I mean, like you said, I don't want to have an hour-long dissertation to explain why this terrible word choice is potentially okay. Um, God is not reckless. That doesn't make any sense. And we certainly don't want anybody to be thinking that God is reckless because that is, that's closer to blasphemy than to worship, uh, in my opinion. And so we're just not going to sing it. And um, if that song comes on the radio, I turn it off. There are other songs that we won't sing that I don't mind having on the radio that we won't sing in a corporate worship service. But this first aspect, content-focused, focusing on good theology, not on popularity, um, that's a bedrock for me. I imagine it's a bedrock for you guys, um, but I, putting it out there, I mean, any pushback on that, anything that you would want to add to that kind of caveat, um, the, the content of the songs, the words themselves matter much more than the popularity of the song. I'm not chasing the wind. I'm not you know, going with the, the winds and waves of popularity. I don't care what's on the Billboard Top 100 worship songs or whatever other lists exist out there. I don't care what people are singing all the time. Good content. Yeah, I guess I would 100% agree. Um, I will never be a worship leader. Um, but if I was, I would want to pick my pick the words of the songs that we're singing at least as carefully as I would um, as I prepare a sermon. Um, I, I don't go into that um, with this libertarian free will of, you know, if I mean it from my heart, then, and if I can explain it away, like I, I would never do that in a sermon. Um, it'd be, it'd be foolish. And so I, I surely wouldn't want to do that with a praise and worship song either. Yeah, I think that's that's uh, definitely true. I think it was Charles Wesley and Joe. You probably would know this better than I do because you're a you're a Charles Wesley fan. But um, I know every word Charles Wesley has ever said. No, okay. Not, I, yeah. Well, then then you'll know. Then you'll you'll know whether he said this or not. Um, but I think his approach to music was music, of course, is meant to to bring worship to God, but also it's meant to teach people to teach those who are singing. And if the purpose of music is to teach people about God as they are singing about God, then the content is very important. And of course it has to be important because God is concerned with truth and any misrepresentation of him is uh, false and wrong. And I think yeah. we need to be very, very concerned about uh, the content of music. There, there was a there was a song that came out. This was several years ago now. I remember it was on the radio. And I don't know exactly what the songwriter meant, but it was something like, you know, everybody is going to be saved in the end and everything's going to work out great for everybody. And 
of course, he didn't say it in that way, but that's kind of what was being hinted at. And I would not listen to the song again because I thought, for one, yeah. this, this is just not even true. And uh, and it get, and it misleads people. It teaches something about God and about people that's not true. Yeah. So I wouldn't want anyone to be misled by the lyrics of a of a song. And it's so this it's so enticing too because the the music itself can be so moving and powerful. And if the lyrics are are unbiblical, people tend to not worry about that because well, I just feel so good as I'm listening to this song because the music's carrying me away. So music has a has the potential to do so much good for people, but because of its power, it also has the potential to do tremendous harm, and it can yeah. mislead people, lead them into error, and lead them into even false. Uh, well, I don't want to be too harsh here, but uh, just worship of God that's that's just not genuine. Yeah. No, I, I am in full agreement with that. And that's, um, we'll talk about that a little bit more kind of with the, the third point of this framework. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm in full agreement and the content of the songs, um, it, it needs to be the primary driver. Um, I do think that if we are painting a, a unbalanced caricature of God in our music, that it is, it's, it's, it's false worship. We begin singing to a God that is an idol in our mind. And if you read through the Psalms, the Psalms do not just pick happy songs or upbeat songs or songs that only talk about good things. They, they, they take you through both good and bad. They take you through highs and lows. And to have music then that is, is going to have content that represents really the fullness of theology, the fullness of who God is, who, which, which remembers. It's not just saying the same seven words repeated a thousand times, but it, it actually has like a, a broad reaching theology is an important thing. And this goes beyond you know, sometimes people want to go, well, hymns are contemporary music. Well, I mean, do people realize that there are a lot of hymns that are wonderful, rich, deep theological songs? And there's also some hymns that are just the silliest nonsense that you've ever, you've ever sang. Um, and likewise, there are some contemporary songs that the, the content, if you're looking at not the instrumentation or the, 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 you know, I don't even know any of the musical terms, but you're not looking at any of that other stuff. You're just looking at the content of what's being said. There's some beautiful, wonderful, wonderful, theologically rich and deep songs. And then again, there's a bunch of silly nonsense. And so we should avoid the silly nonsense and we should sing the good songs. If you're going to sing the hymns, you know, don't just sing first and third and skip all the, you know, second, fourth, seventh, ninth, twelfth, you know, stanzas that, that give all this good theology. Um, sing the good theology, sing all of it. Um, and because this, this does shape the way that we think about God. And so, you know, in our, a lot of contemporary music that I hear, um, uh, and this kind of leads into the next point, we tend to focus on ourselves rather than on God. And we, if we're being honest, a lot of our worship, worship songs are self-help songs, the songs about ourselves, about thinking about things that want to make me feel good. And we even will change God's word. I don't know of a single song that I hear that sings about, you know, uh, that, that passage in Romans 8 that doesn't add the little pronoun, God works all things together for my good. You go, whoa, this song, I'm singing about me. That's not what the passage says. It doesn't insert my in there. It says he works all things together for good. Um, that's true. But sometimes I might have to go through something very difficult, like Joseph, for example, endure something very, very difficult for the good of others. And so it's not about God necessarily working out everything to the very best of circumstances for me. It's that God is working to bring glory to, to his name. And sometimes that includes me walking through something that's difficult. And so if I'm coming together to worship and I'm in a difficult season of life, for example, um, I, 
I think it's good to worship God in that difficult season of life and to realize that God can redeem even this, that he can work all things together for good. And tomorrow might still be hard for me. And that doesn't mean that God has failed. Um, but I don't want to change God's word and make it about me, add my personal pronouns to it. Um, and so, um, you know, focusing on good, good theology, not popularity, but then also really realizing we are here to focus on worshiping God, singing about him, singing about his goodness, his glory, what he's doing, what he's done, what he has yet to do. Um, singing, you know, Again, Psalms are filled with history, just remembering God's mighty works in the past so that we can see that he's been faithful before. He'll be faithful again. That's the kind of stuff that we should be singing about. But often those aren't the most popular songs because you start singing about history. People are like, this is boring history. What about, uh, let's sing that one where God works all things together for my good again. Yeah, no, I I would again agree. And, you know, there are a number of songs. Again, there are songs that I I won't sing as we sing in church and a a hymn, and I'm not going to be able to come up with the exact name of the hymn because i'm not good at that but just start um, singing it it'll come just, back to yeah you. definitely not gonna happen um you know d- talks about you know you know jesus and i have this relationship that that no one has ever had you know it's it's you and jesus and you got this you know this special thing going for you and and how arrogant and how prideful and and probably Did you how, guys know i'm his favorite did you know that i've heard people <laughs> does, say it doesn't like surprise that. me yeah i, I can see <laughs> that yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, probably. I've heard people say that with all integrity. They're like, ah, I'm his favorite. Did you know that? I'm like, what are we supposed to do? Clap for you? I don't know what you're. So we're, we're all <laughs> singing this nice. song that we're all his favorite. <laughs> Greg, I've never sang this song, but that, that, yes, that um, anyway, please, please continue. <laughs> sure. Or, or songs, you know, around 4th of July. And again, I'm an ex-military guy. I, I love the, what our country is supposed to be. Um, but, you know, you start singing songs like America, the beautiful, you know, uh, America, America, God shed his grace on, on the, well, you're singing to America. You're not singing to God. Um, why, why does that have a place in our, in our worship service? So yeah, whether it's focused on us as individuals, whether you know it's misplacing what we're there uh, to sing and worship to um, some of the narcissists, well, I don't want to call it narcissistic, but there are songs, you know, that we are singing reaffirming to ourselves who we are and, and i that has a place but it, it's a place that makes me uncomfortable because you end up going through this song and you know every word is me and i and us and we and um i would just want to caution us be very careful with those songs um we can sing truths um, in an improper way i don't remember if it was a church or if it was a denomination or some group of christians uh, a few years ago had said that they would they didn't want to sing amazing grace during their services because it says god saved a wretch like me mm. and that hurts my feelings and i i heard that and i just laughed out loud laughed but then was just sorrowful at the same time thinking are you so unaware of your own soul uh and and your past that you you honestly think you're not a wretch and i'm not saying i mean christians you know should be a lot better than they used to be. Of course, we're called to, to, to be holy, but um, to I, it is totally appropriate uh, to describe ourselves, um, you know, as as wretched. Certainly, our past before Christ uh, is was uh, wretched to the core. Um, so I, yeah, this idea that if if the song convicts me or hurts my feelings, then it's bad. Mm-hmm. That's a uh, that's just not a, a way to, to think and. Yeah, we have our culture is so ultra sensitive now that if if they hear anything they disagree with, 
they feel they've been oppressed. And uh, so some of the some worship songs can be very offensive to people if if it's not glorifying man. And if and so therefore a lot of songs end up talking about how spectacular man is and how mm-hmm. man is just uh, the you know everything to God. And I'm, of course, I'm not. God does love man, and God sent Christ to to die for the sins of mankind. So there's no question. I don't deny that. But it's almost like it's almost like they think. God loves us because we're great. And I, I like what Martin Luther said about this. I think he's right on. He says, um, God doesn't love us because we're special. We're special because God loves us. Hmm. And to to not realize that and think, well, I'm just, God owes me favor because I'm just that cool. I'm just that unique. I'm just that special. Is so counter-biblical. Uh, and anyone who knows their own heart knows that that can't be true. It, it, this is just dangerous. So I think we need to not cater to uh, self-centeredness and and uh, the, the 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 modern thinking of our day. I think that's very very dangerous. Many modern people will be extremely offended if they were to open their Bible and read the Old Testament. Hmm. Period. Um, especially when they come to uh, phrases like you know your whoring hearts. Um, oh my goodness, you 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 just said that word. Yeah, hmm. uh, God did just say that word, and and He was. It's equally applicable to us at times as it was to the people back then. Yeah. Or just to even find out that this God who is love, which the Bible affirms, also hates, that he hates wickedness and he abhors it. And I know we we sing a song. Um, it's directly from uh, Psalm. I think it's uh, I think it's Psalm 8. I, I can't remember exactly. Um, but one of the lines is, you hate all wickedness, O God. You 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 hate all evil ways. Um, and many people might, you know, say, why are we singing this? Because it's true because God does. And we should realize that we should realize that God hates sin. Um, and we don't sing that because we are filled with hate. We sing that because realizing that the fact that God hates sin, realizing the fact that I was a wretch, that I was dead in my trespasses helps me to realize what amazing love it is, what amazing grace it is. That when I was dead in my trespasses and sins, God loved me anyway. He loved his enemy and sent his son to die for me. How incredible. Not because I was so good and so great, but because he's so good and so great. And shouldn't we sing about that? That's, a, that's an amazing, awesome truth. And so setting the context, the full biblical context, helps us really to understand that God's love is better. Much more than saying it's reckless. Right? This is a dumb thing to say about God because the Bible never says that. And I know that there are musicians and they go, oh, we're supposed to sing a new song. Yeah, but we shouldn't sing something different. And are we so are we so prideful that we think that we can be more eloquent about God's love than God's word actually is? Why do we have to think sing things that are make up new things about God's love as if we're going to come up with something better than what he's already told us? I don't need to make up new qualifiers for God's love. I can sing about his love because it is amazing and it's awe-inspiring and truly has no no one has greater love than this. So let's just sing about what the Bible says. So we'll focus on that content. And so, you know, sometimes it's not the words that I want to sing, but newsflash, even as a pastor, we're not there to sing to me. I, it's not about my preferences. It's not about the, the songs that I want to sing. We're, the, we're not there to sing to me. We're there to sing to God. So we should sing the songs that he likes. And likewise, I've heard, just to add in, you, you know, you guys talk about some of these experiences. I, I wasn't at this meeting, but I heard secondhand from some people that were at a meeting about church leadership and they were trying to get the, the music leader to stop singing about the blood of Christ because, you know, their neighbors, their unsaved friends and family come and they're like, we don't like these songs. 
So I guess they want to, you know, we should, we should do more covers of John Bon Jovi living on a prayer and stuff so that we can cater to the non-believers. Um, and again, for me and for my framework, um, just not in any place that I'm an overseer of, we're not going to be singing any, any covers of popular songs to try and cater to the unbelievers. We're not here to sing to the unbelievers. We're here. We're not here to sing to the believers. We are here to sing to the living God who loved us and sent our son, his son for us. And so, um, you know, there are a lot of songs that I will sing on my own if I'm in my car about my personal relationship with Jesus. Um, but one of the things I talk about with our music director is sometimes even these good songs, they still become very me focused. Um, and can we change sometimes the pronouns to make it more group focused instead of me saying, I'll bring you more than a song. Um, how about we'll bring you more than a song. And, and now we're singing together in that corporate worship thing, that it's not just this collection of individuals, me singing about my personal relationship with God, but we are singing together about what we are going to do as a body of believers purchased by the blood of the lamb. And so that corporate worship, I think, is, is a huge aspect of it. And so even when we sing songs with good theology and that are focused on God, sometimes still the pronouns, I think, should be changed in the corporate worship setting to uh, really reflect the fact that I'm not here to sing to God all by my lonesome. I'm here to sing as a part of this multitude of voices that even extends beyond the walls of where I'm at. Like, you know, you guys are gathering in different places than I am, but we're all gathering together to worship God on this Sunday morning. And so we're joining with this multitude of saints scattered across the face of the earth, even singing with the angels and praise. It's a, it's a hugely important thing that's much more like, well, they didn't sing that song I like to sing this morning which is such a goofy way of thinking about corporate worship, in my opinion. Um, so uh, prioritizing biblical lyrics uh, over creativity. I think that we talked about that. Um, I think it should be led by a real person. Um, you know, it kind of gets back to that gift leadership and also just realizing that this is a powerful ministry for, for, for good or ill. And Eric, you, you kind of opened the door to that a few moments ago. Um, if we're singing bad theology, if we're singing, you know, just about our personal life, like these have effects in our body that we might not even realize. We are leading people based on the, the music that we're singing. And sometimes it's just kind of under the, the surface, like we're not really fully articulating. I don't know that any pastor would say, I want to have a congregation filled with self-centered individuals who only focus on their own personal relationship with God. I don't know that anybody would say that. But if all you do is sing songs, that all the pronouns reflect that, you are leading people to think that way. And then when you're shocked that people have no care for anybody else, you're like, well, I'm just focused on God working all things together for my good. Why do I care about anybody else? All the songs we sing, all the sermons we hear, everything is about me, 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 and my relationship with God. Why should I care about this single mom who's having a hard time? Like, don't you know I got my own problems to deal with? Yeah, remember um, in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 9 through 13, uh, if you pay close attention to the language, Jesus is describing a, a corporate prayer. Uh, mm -hmm. Our Father who is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. It's it's uh, it's it's talking about uh, prayer not only for oneself but for other believers and maybe even with other believers. Um, and of course, we're not we're not to repeat the prayer word for word. That that wasn't the point. But the point I'm making is that there is a corporate aspect to it. It's not just about me. It's about other believers. It's about it's about us worshiping God as a body and praying to God as a body. And I think that that's what worship really needs to be. I would definitely agree. Um, as you read the, through the New Testament, um, unfortunately, the translation from, from Greek to English uh, strips out a lot, of the, a lot of the first person, third person, 
second person. And so, you know, I'm not going to take away from the fact that, that I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells me. But you should recognize that much of that language in the New Testament is, is a statement about the church, about the, the ecclesia, about the gathering of God's people. And so when we only get the word you and we don't recognize whether that's first person or third person, um, it's, it loses much of its meaning. We need to be very, very careful that much of what's, what we're seeing in the New Testament is talking about the corporate body. So, yeah, turning our attention to, to the church as the primacy of what's being said there, we lose sight of that. We lose a lot. See, you only have that problem because you're not a King James only guy. The King James, uh, the the archaic uh, English maintains the uh, singular and plural uh, forms. Does it? Well, well, yeah, the there the, we go. Uh, that that's why I should be a KJV only. That's guy. why it's the perfect <laughs> translation. I'm sure it is. <laughs> oh, we are uh, de- veering into dangerous territory. Yeah, let's here. talk um, about that. That was sarcasm. Yeah, well, eventually by the way. we will. Yes, uh, <laughs> eventually we will. Um, so no, this these are all good points. So uh, continuing on through this framework. First, first point was, again, gifted leadership, someone who's spiritually gifted um, that should have some natural talent, but, uh, but spiritual gifting being the primary focus. Second thing, um, focusing on content, uh, really um, maintaining that, that the fact that this is a, a powerfully influential teaching ministry of the church. And so, Greg, you said it very well, um, just like we ought to put thought into really every word we say during the sermon. Uh, we probably ought to put even more thought into every word that we're going to sing uh, because these things are um, persistently persuasive in the body. And that moves to the third point, at least of this framework, as I think about it, of making sure that we're being moving, but not manipulating. Um, and, you know, we want to have um, a, a moving, I believe, worship time, something that, that really moves us from the heart. Um, but we want to be very careful to avoid anything that would manipulate. I'm thankful for my music director and his heart for this. Uh, he actually rebukes me fairly sharply once uh, fairly early on uh, after we uh, uh, were in ministry together. Um, anybody that was part of our group, you know, for the six of us or something that started, you know, together, um, we were meeting in a fairly odd setting. Um, and so we had a, a screen, you know, that had the lyrics up on it. And there's like a fluorescent light like right on top of it. And so uh, when the light's on, it kind of washes out like half of the screen. And so uh, he came up to lead worship and I walked over and just turned off half the lights so that that reflection wouldn't be there on the screen. And, um, and he led us in worship. And then afterwards he came right up to me and like, what are you doing? What, <laughs> what do you mean? It's like, you turn off the lights, you're trying to manipulate people's emotions. I just wanted people to be able to read the words on the screen because they couldn't see any of them. Like you got, you know, we're singing like half the song, but we're not doing it because of Greg's, you know, Greg's reason. He doesn't agree with it. He just can't, I literally, I don't know what we're supposed to say. Uh, uh, and he's like, don't do that. You know, you don't want to be uh, uh, manipulating people by turning the lights off and trying to create this, you know, emotional, whatever. And um, so, you know, we, we have a good relationship and I'm, I'm in agreement with him. I don't want to try and manipulate people by, turning the lights down and, and, you know, manipulating lights or, or those kinds of things. Um, I, I think that's artificial okay, though. Sure. Yeah. Fog machines. A okay. Oh, yeah. Um, listen, and part of this, some people might use those things and, and, and there might be a reason for it. I don't use those things. Um, Repent. okay. Um, fair enough. Well said. Uh, I don't know. Um, you know, if, if all we're doing is creating an environment that is manipulating people 
we've got the lights, we've got the, the fog machine, we've got the music, we've got everything is conducive to this. What we're creating is something that is fleshly that will not last. I think people experience this at a lot of events that they go to, you know, they, they go and they're like, oh, you know, I was so moved, the music and the lights and the everything, the production. And then as soon as they get in their car and drive home, they've already forgot about all of it. It doesn't really make any difference. And then they long for that experiential high again. You got to go back to the, the thing where, where we're going to get drummed up and everything's going to do it. Whereas if, if we're moved actually by the spirit of God, the lights can be on, but if God's moving in our hearts, we're going to be changed. And, and this is part of what our Christian walk is supposed to be, right? We're supposed to be changed, transformed by the renewing of our minds, transformed uh, more and more into the image and likeness of Christ. This is what we are predestined to be. And so this process, it, it shouldn't just be about, you know, being entertained for a moment or being manipulated in the moment. And as soon as we get out of that environment, we're into something else. But we should want to create uh, an opportunity for people to genuinely be moved. And so I think that a lot of things that we've been talking about up till now contribute to this. Having a spiritually gifted leader, someone who's going to help lead us in that direction, hugely beneficial. Singing good content, actually getting to God's word, not a, a caricature of God, but a true version of God. These things are going to help us to be moved deeply within. Um, and so I think that the music, um, this worship aspect, it should be spirit led. Um, it shouldn't be manipulating the flesh. We should, if we're going to think about something like a fog machine, we ought to have a really good reason for that. I can't come up with one. I'm not going to try and be like so broad brush, say that there could never be a reason for it. If we're going to turn off the lights, you know, I had a logistical reason. I, I wanted people to be able to know what the words were. Um, but I understand, like, I don't want to be making it dark and quiet. Like, I don't want to be manipulating people. And so um, by having that broad thought, um, you know, we do very little by way of performance art. Um, to try and manipulate people into feeling the way that we want them to feel. Yeah. Uh, I'll just add an experience that I had. Um, you know, my, my family, we, we went to worship someplace that wasn't uh, usual to us. We went because um, we had a friend who was, who was taking part in the service. And so we wanted to see that. And the, the ushers at the church were so hyper-focused on removing anything that could be a distraction. Um, we were told that our sleeping baby in a car seat that had a blanket over it. They didn't, they didn't even know if a baby was in there. Just, they just saw a car seat. We were told multiple times that baby will be a problem. Um, what else would have been in there if it wasn't? Well, I, you know what? A watermelon. I could have had a watermelon. <laughs> you have no idea. What... Do you bring bowling balls of watermelons to church I, in a car carrier? Well, I, I usually bring rotten tomatoes. So I was just carrying the rotten tomatoes. <laughs> so dead cats is Spurgeon uh, yeah. experienced. So, yeah. um, <laughs> I forgot my train of thought. Oh, so they, um, they were taking all the distractions out. Sorry. Yeah, they, they had, they were doing everything they could to eliminate any distractions as far as they were concerned. And that drove me to be completely unable to worship there as they turned their lights down low, as they had the, the red spotlights and the blue spotlights and everything going. And fortunately they didn't, they had, but didn't use the confetti machines that day. Um, that's for Jesus' what, birthday on Christmas. They shoot that out. Well, it was out for, for Easter. Birthday. It was, okay, it was Easter. Yeah, yeah. All right. There you go. So, um, yeah, completely unable to worship there. Couldn't couldn't read my Bible because the lights were too low. Hmm. Um, but congratulations, you completely did everything you were trying to avoid um, by by making it all about you manufacturing the setting. Um, and, and so, 
you know, unfortunately, as far as I'm concerned, we don't get a clear enough picture in the New Testament what first century apostolic worship settings looked like. We have some, not as much as I would like, but I would ask us to consider if it couldn't have been reproduced in the first century, is it absolutely necessary today? And if you say it is absolutely necessary, then what I think you're saying without realizing it is the apostles weren't doing it well enough. And consider that very carefully. Well, I mean, the question— Not beneficial, that, necessary. Sure. Yeah, no, because I was going to say, would that apply to, I mean, having a screen up there? Because they, they wouldn't have had that and, and all sorts, you know, microphones, amplification, all that kind of things. Sure. Can it help? I'm, I'm not arguing that screens don't help. I'm not arguing that, that microphones don't help. But, but we, we have these, we have these things, these devices or these, uh, systems or, or, um, uh, traditions that we would say we'd rather die than lose. Hmm. I go, well, guess what? Um, God's people for thousands of years worshiped him without those things. So are they necessary? I don't believe so. So we ought to be a little bit more um, careful in the priority that we give them in our in our worship service. Sure. I don't know of anybody that I've encountered that says that they're necessary, but beneficial. Um, and I think that there are, you know, again, I don't necessarily agree with them. I'm just saying that they would say oh, the organ just is, like the organ is necessary. Sure, <laughs> some yeah, fair enough for, for some people. Um, uh, so you know, some would say that there is there's just benefit. There's a benefit to having the screen. There's a benefit to having the microphones. There's a benefit to having the instrumentation. There's a benefit to having the lights. There's a benefit to having all those things. And so they want to use those things to create that worshipful experience. Um, and you know, to, to make it so that, you know, I, I've heard all the arguments cause we, you know, we go the other way you, and, and this is kind of, again, getting into other related issues cause they are all related, but we keep all of our kids in the service with us. And it's true. Um, maybe not the sleeping baby, but the baby that's hungry or, or the toddler that's um, bored. You know, the, these things can be distractions to people for sure. Um, but I want to create an environment in which, like I said, it's, it's, there's a moving opportunity to worship God together. But it's not, it's not exclusive to the environment. Because the thing is, is that once people leave the doors of the building that we're at, they have to bring their kids with them. And they have to go back into the world with this toddler that isn't always sleeping and with, you know, with all these other distractions. And so I want to create in people an opportunity to understand that we can worship God all the time. And you can worship God even if there is a baby crying. And you can worship God even if there is a, a toddler, you know, banging you in the shin with their, their hot wheel or something like that. Like these are things that I want to be able to worship God all the time, not just when the lights are low and the fog machine's on and the red and blue spotlights are going. And so I don't know that we're doing people favors by trying to create that, that pristine, perfect environment um, where then everything is just, it, you know, we're almost like they're, uh, people will not like this term. I'm going to say it anyway. We're like their spiritual drug dealer, you know, like they got to come to us to get that worship experience because we're the ones who can manipulate the lights. We can manipulate everything for them. We'll take your kids away. Don't worry. We'll put them in a safe, fun place. We'll keep these monsters away from you for an hour so that you can worship God. Um, but then we're going to give them back to you. And so you're going to have an awful lot more hours in your week where I guess you can't worship God, but come back next week. Same time next week, we'll give you that experience again. Um, and and I, I don't say that to be mean-spirited. I, I've, I've, I've lived in that environment for a while. And 
man, I, I, I don't want to be sitting around on like a Wednesday afternoon thinking, oh, I just can't wait till they turn off the lights and take my kids away from me so I can finally worship God. Like, doesn't that seem so unhealthy? That seems like such an unhealthy place to be. Um, and so to get to a more healthy place, it's, it's difficult. Um, but I know plenty of people will never come to a, a church that I'm leading because we don't take the kids out. You know, we let the, let the kids come in. And sometimes those kids, they wake up and sometimes they cry. And, you know, uh, if you listen to my sermons, um, you know, sometimes you hear a baby screaming in the background. Um, that's, that's just the case. Um, and I'm okay with that. Um, but some people would say that's distracting and would think that, you know, I'm, I'm the one in error and that's okay. I, I don't stand before them. They don't stand before me. We all stand before the Lord together. So we got to make these decisions, but, um, I appreciate that story. Eric, what, what do you, what thoughts can you bring to this or, or, um, perspective can you bring on, on being spirit led? moving, but not manipulating. How do we navigate that? How do we make sure we're doing one and not the other? What, what thoughts do you have as an overseer of a local body? You can have the perfect setting, I'll say, and still not get worship out of it. Um, and I, as I've said before, I guess I'll just say it again, that that you, you know, I like the way you said this, uh, this you know, your spiritual drug dealer is probably, it actually probably is somewhat appropriate um, for, for what we're talking about. But now, people um, are going to get mad at me for that one. I think. Well, um, they'll be okay. They'll they'll right. they'll, they'll, they'll make it. Um, but uh, <laughs> I think uh, it. I think they have to come with a worshipful heart to church, and not um, not depend on the perfect setting uh, to to have you know their heart become worshipful all of a sudden on a Sunday morning. So I I think if you come to church intending to worship, you'll have no problem with worshiping, uh, even if the setting, even if the, if the environment is not perfectly suited, uh, for that. I mean, yeah. you know, I, there's things that are just common sense stuff. Like, you know, I mean, you want, you want some, you want an environment where it's, there's some distractions that are big distractions. And then there's some that they're not, they're not a big deal. So, I mean, just, I, I would say it's just in some cases, it's a matter of just common sense, but, but I think, uh, I think to just to, to have the mindset that we need to we need to try and um, move people by having the perfect environment. Um, I'm not sure that that's really well. For one, it's just not going to it's not going to work. It's not some automatic thing. Um, you know, environment does play a part, but it's it's not like everything has to be perfect. I read a book a few years ago where someone had said. You in your and this is about sermons, but again, music it's it's the same it's the same kind of thing. Uh, you should not your goal should not be to try and make people emotional by what you say. Now, emotion is is a part of the human experience. It's a part of being human, and to to throw emotions away and act like we need to be apathetic, emotionless worshipers is that's absurd. But if I'm trying to if if my goal is to try and like manipulate them into feeling a certain way and you know it's like god you don't need to worry about this part i'll take it from here and you can work on them in different ways if we're trying to bring about the emotion ourselves in these manipulative ways then that's wrong and we're not yeah. we're, that's not our job to to try and manipulate people into uh feeling a certain way i think people who are worshipers who who intend to worship god will have some feelings, of course, uh, toward God as they're as they're worshiping. I think that's kind of the way that worship is supposed to work. We should avoid manipulative things at all cost. And so, the you know, I, 
I know that this happens. I'm not. Again, I, I always, I always want to be very careful when I'm criticizing, you know, uh, other places. Cause that's not, I, I don't want to tear down the church. I want to build up the church. I, I want, I think that every church can be healthy if we, we would, you know, pursue the right things, but, but anybody, if I'm doing it, if you guys are doing it, if anybody's doing it, that's trying to manipulate people, it's just, it's not right. And so, you know, you, you hear people that practice that, you know, that they, they're going to, they, they learn to cry on cue and stuff, you know, like, I mean, they're trying to do all this stuff to like really get people going. And, and the music leaders, they can, in their practice times, they're, they're pretending that the Holy Spirit is leading in ways like they're, they're, they're pretending the move of the spirit for Sunday. Like they know exactly what God's going to do. They're, they're, they're literally practicing it on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday with the band of saying the things at first, second and third service. It's always exactly the same thing. Oh, the Holy Spirit's just saying right now, like you, you practice that in advance. Like you're not, you're not being truthful about what's happening. And you know, look, if, if a, if a guy's preaching the word of God and he's moved and he starts you know, getting teary eyed or something like that. I think that that's perfectly fine. He doesn't have to pretend like he's not being moved, but to, pre to, to practice crying on purpose, that's, that's shameful. You ought to, you ought to sit down and, and stop doing that. And it's exactly the same with music. You ought not to be practicing. And you know, you know how you, you know, the swells and the music and the, you know, changing the light, changing the tempo. It is so easy to manipulate people and you need to be very careful. I think that's one of the reasons why people don't like drums. You know, that's the, the best argument I've heard is that it's manipulative, that you're making people like it almost like, you know, you get that bass and you, you're like causing feelings in people. It doesn't have to be overpowering. You can, you can use the drums in a way that isn't overpowering. That is just simply keeping, you know, keeping the time, keeping the tempo so that the, the, the music isn't becoming distracting. Cause we talked about that and I don't want anybody to think we're being um, contradictory. Do I want to, like, am I pinching babies to make them cry so they're distracting? Just like I'm trying to put someone with the worst singing voice in front of the microphone. I'm not. But there are certain things we can control, and then there's other things that we can't control. I don't want to be blaring off an air horn for no reason just to distract people to say, can you worship when I'm doing this? You know, like, that's not, that's not my intention. Um, but at the same time, I can't, I can't promise you a perfect, pristine environment because life isn't perfect and pristine. And so... Um, you know, to, to try and manipulate, to try and over, you know, uh, sanitize the environment for lack of a better term, I, I can't go to either extreme. And, and there is a, a path in the middle where I'm going to try and take responsibility for the things I can take responsibility for. And then, you know, if your baby's crying this week, listen, it's okay. And, and, um, we can still worship God together. And in fact, sometimes, you know, if you got your crying baby in there with you, sometimes people might be praying for you. You might get actually more prayer. People are like, wow, look that, you know, this is a tough season of life. You know, you're probably tired and, and, um, exhausted, and, and, you know, emotionally and, and intellectually, and, and people can pray for you in a way that you would, you would miss out on when you're gathered in the, in the gathering, um, by simply being able to, to be seen in that regard. So, um, you know, this avoiding these manipulative practices, um, uh, I think we've, we've covered pretty well. One last aspect that I want to just bring up from this is, and it gets to something you were saying, Eric, um, that the emotions are okay. I think that the music often should match the tone of the word. I don't pick the songs. It doesn't sound like you pick the songs. Um, but our music director at our, our particular local place, he always wants to know what passage I'm preaching. He reads it and then he selects songs of, of kind of where, where he thinks it's going. Um, and, uh, he matches the tone 
of the passage. If, if, if we're talking about something that is particularly joyful, um, he's going to have a lot of really upbeat, happy songs that are, that are matching the tone. Um, if we have something that's a little heavier, a, a little bit more um, heavy of a passage, he's, he's probably going to have songs that match that tone. And um, again, I don't think that that's manipulating people, but it is appropriate. It all comes then together. It, it, as we're responding to God's word and we're singing in praise to God, we're, we're being moved by what the spirit is doing, that all of these things are then coming together in a cohesive whole that I am, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm singing and responding and worshiping in a way that matches what the message is about, that it's not there's songs and there's, then there's the, the message and there's prayers and, and everything's disconnected, but there is a, a cohesiveness to this, that, that the whole thing is about worshiping God. So that's kind of the last aspect that I would bring is trying to kind of, in some degree, matching the tone, the music and the message. Um, because we, we preach through entire books, there are going to be some weeks that are harder than others. There's going to be some weeks that the, 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 the singing is maybe, um, a little bit more difficult. You're probably going to sing something different on a, a week where we're talking about Jesus being crucified than we are on a, a week where, you know, we're talking about, um, you know, Paul being delivered from prison. Those are, those are different kinds of things. One is seemingly somber and one is more victorious. Um, you guys have any thoughts about that? And again, not, and not in a manipulative way, but just the appropriateness of kind of matching the emotional tone of, of the songs and the, the message and the prayers and kind of everything together. What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah. I, I think the continuity there is, uh, is a very good thing, you know. Uh, as a person who doesn't, uh, on a regular basis, plan out the the service, it's something that I hadn't considered before. But um, you know, when when I do get the opportunity to preach, the worship leader will say, "Hey, you know, what text are you doing? Are, and are there any any songs that you want to do?" And I'm like, yeah, sure. And I just give them the same list of like my five favorite hymns and say, you know, pick pick from that. But uh, I guess it's something that I hadn't considered before. Yeah. I, uh, as far as manipulating the the service and particularly, you know, like in worship, there's, there's two extremes, which you already talked about. There's the extreme that says, uh, you know, we need to like manufacture the, we need to manufacture emotions. We need to make sure that, make sure that we're, we are arousing these emotions in people. We're bringing these emotions out and we're going to make sure we do that. Uh, and actually, one, one uh, I, I was reading a book one time where this this the, the author was talking about when this guy would prepare sermons, if he made a weak point, uh, he was to slam his fist on the pulpit in order to make up for the fact that it was a weak point. So to kind of strengthen strengthen the weak point, uh, and he, and then you know he would have to shout. He would certain points he would he would he knew he was going to shout at this one point. Um, because yeah. that was what he, he really wanted to emphasize that point. I just and shout I, all my points. Isn't that what you do, Greg? You just shout all your points. Why you not? Have, I know, Joe, I know you've seen this, this, uh, sermon, Eric, maybe you have, it's, it's a guy preaching about, I think the title is something, um, the war with the most casualties, the, the argument between Calvinists and Arminians. And, um, he's a very powerful preacher, but, but every time he's making a point, he's making many, many points. He, he's clapping his hands like right into the microphone. And so you're listening with headphones off because your eardrums are being blown out the entire sermon. And so I, I don't know if you've ever, ever seen that one. It's, it's a, a good great, sermon. it's a great sermon actually. But yeah, the, uh, the, the extra stuff that he does is a little, 
a little much for me. But I'm sorry, Eric, you were, you were going somewhere with that. Though, the weak no, I'm, points, glad, I'm uh, glad that Greg added that part. Um, it's, it, it goes right along with what I was saying, but what was I saying? Um, oh, yeah, the <laughs> manufacturing. It doesn't matter, yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, there, so there's one extreme where you're really trying hard to manufacture or you're, you're trying to, like, force people or make people, you know, have emotions. Then, then there's then there's another extreme where it's it's like, OK, I, I have to make sure things are as dull as they possibly can be uh, so that God can work. And if they're unless they are dull and drag is or drab as it's possible to be, then um, God's not going to work in this. Hmm. Well, that's not true either. Is Both that a tactic? Extremes. Like I've never, I've never heard. Like I, I maybe it is a tactic, and I just thought the 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 pastor or preacher was particularly boring. Is that is that a thing? Like <laughs> how boring can I be? <laughs> well, you know, for Jonathan Edwards, um, and I and I have respect for Jonathan Edwards. I'm not I'm not saying that he's you know he's bad, but I remember uh, I remember reading somewhere that he intentionally would read sermons in the most monotone voice to leave room for the spirit to move. In other words, he thought if he, if he had any kind of strong feelings about anything, then that would take away from the spirits moving or something. And it was, I don't I've know if I'm quoting that. that. I've never heard that about Edwards before. That's interesting. I, well, I've actually heard something similar. Yeah. And then he, he, he had very bad eyesight, I, I think. And he had to like actually like manuscript and he had to like, like read his manuscript very slowly with, you know, paper in front of his face in some cases. I'm not sure if that's, for such a prolific writer, that surprises me. But no, and I mean, the, especially like uh, uh, "Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God" is one of the most moving sermons uh, of all time. It's it's difficult to to uh, argue that the Holy Spirit has used that in in mighty, mighty, mighty ways. Um, yeah. Even just as a as a manuscript that's been written down, regardless of the you know who is uh, speaking it or reading it or or whatever, whether monotonous or not. Um, but uh, huh. you know. Yeah, it's maybe maybe we've veered the other way in our culture where, um, you know, we, we really rely on gesticulations and, uh, you know, uh, oratory skill. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I remember you, you mentioned Charles Wesley. He um, you look at pictures of him. He looks like this stuffy, stuffy guy, you know, and I don't know. People have different ideas of him, but he uh, he got so worked up during a sermon one time, he gave himself a nosebleed. And I'm like, well, I've never gotten that. That you know, emphatic into my nose <laughs> starts bleeding. I'm so emotional about this. I'm like, what's my problem? I'm. I guess I'm. I don't know. I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm not. Uh, hopefully, I'm not overly boring. I'm standing up there like a, a you know, a board. Uh, but never, well, never I got mean, a nosebleed from preaching. So, uh, so further. So I got well, room I think, to grow. I guess. I think just the, the 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 point of all this is just be genuine. Just mm -hmm. you know, there, there's there's a way to be hip, hypocritical where you're exaggerating the way you feel you don't really feel the way that you are pretending to feel yeah. that's exaggerating that's hypocrisy um but you know also like you know don't don't i don't know C can god work through our faults in in our uh, the ways that we do things that are you know not perfect well i think we all know that god can work through those things um thank god that he does because if he only worked through doing things perfectly i <laughs> I would be in be, be very big trouble, um, yeah, and God amen. would not be able to work through me at all. But um, so I say, like, just avoid the extremes. You know, <laughs> you know, don't yeah. don't try and like fake stuff, and and don't slam your fist on the pulpit or scream during a part of the song just to try and you know manufacture emotions. But at the same time, you know, like we do have emotions, and and mm -hmm. it's 
it, it's not we're not people that are just stoic. You know, we we have we have feelings, and Christ wept at times. Christ was angry at times. Um, God is an emotional God, and I realize that he. You know, I'm not saying his emotions are identical to ours, but but from and you take just a plain reading of Scripture, God has something that's similar to emotions. I mean, we're made in his image, so it kind of makes sense. But um, so I don't think we should be emotionless either. And I think emotions actually do do matter. Uh, mm. Again, it's not like it's not like, you know, we're supposed to be. It's all about emotion. It's, it's certainly not all about it. But emotions can't be disregarded completely either. I mean, we're not called to be, you know, stoic people or we're called to be people that are loving God with all of ourselves, our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we have to, I think we have to take that very seriously. Yeah. Amen. Well, brothers, that's my framework. Uh, three main points, uh, making sure that we have gifted leadership, making sure that we're content focused, making sure that we're moving, not manipulating. We've had a lot of good discussion about all those things. I would think if you want to ruin your church, don't pay any attention to this. Sing all the popular songs, sing about yourself. Make sure that uh, you either got someone who's a terrible singer or maybe even just put an unbeliever up there because uh, he can play the guitar real well. Um, but if you want to have a healthy church, then having at least some thought about this, this is perhaps the most influential theological uh, aspect of our, of, our, of our entire ministry because these songs, they get into our minds, we sing them all week, they influence us in ways um, that that go well beyond um, even you know my ability as a preacher. I get to preach most Sundays, and I still realize that I think probably the most influential theological uh, teacher is the one who te picks our songs and leads our songs. And so I'm thankful to have a, a musical director that is on the same page with me, and that uh, that is is working together with me as a team to make sure that he's not singing anything silly or painting a caricature of God. Uh, and that he's on board with this framework. Um, but that's my framework. Do you guys have anything that you think that I've missed? You know, Greg, you mentioned I at least gave you some things that maybe you've never thought about. Is there anything that, I, that I've that i missed that I should be thinking about more as you guys see it, or do you think we've pretty well covered it? I guess the only um, the only last thought that I would like to share, you know, if if you or, you know, if you're a pastor, if you're a, a worship leader or, or just a person in the pew struggling with the, with the age-old uh, issue of hymns versus contemporary music. I would really like to encourage you to to go back and spend time in the Psalms and to consider the, I would argue, the necessity of singing Psalms. How important that is. You know, God gave us a hymn book, 150 Holy Spirit inspired songs that that are meant for us today. Um, and, and so, I <laughs> this is this is. Uh, you know, a point that I often try to make and try not to beat the drum too loudly, but I want to see a resurgence of singing the Psalms in our corporate worship. Um, yeah. If, and now I, I know the argument, ah, it doesn't sound good. Uh, you know, how do you put it to modern music? Well, um, here's a, here's a plug for you. A guy named Brian Suave, S A U V E. He's put out at least three albums that I know of where he has set the Psalms word for word in the King James uh, to music they are excellently done. I don't think that there's a day that goes by in my house where you won't hear now a psalm being played as my kids are learning to sing along to those songs, as I'm singing along, my wife is singing along. Um, I would love to see a recovery instead of the argument of contemporary music versus hymns. I would love to see more people wanting to go back to wanting to go back to the psalms. 
Well, I appreciate you saying that. I, uh, I've longed for something like that. I didn't know such a thing existed. So it's, I'll have to look. It is top notch. You know, yeah. you, you will find that his second two CDs, second two discs, um, goodness, uh, Bright the Rider and even, even Dragons uh, Shall Praise Him. Um, better than the first one, just because I like the, the style better. But you, it's not hokey. It's not, um, it, it is top quality hymns word for word. Well, I look forward to looking into that. And yeah, I, uh, you know, the, we didn't even on this framework bring up the discussion really of instrumentation really, or hymns versus contemporary. Um, but I, I do know that that is something that's very divisive. And, and I think this framework at least does begin to talk about those questions. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I wish that sometimes people would realize that, do you know that hymns were contemporary at some point? Like at what point did they, you know, like, is it impossible for someone living today to write a good theological song in your opinion? Seems like it. <laughs> um, uh, for some people it is. And, and I wish that the body wasn't so divided about this. Um, but um, in any way, uh, I appreciate those are uh, excellent thoughts. So thank you for kind of filling us out a little bit more. Um, Eric, you have anything to add about what Greg said or anything else that, that you've thought about as an overseer of a local body that we've perhaps left unaddressed in our discussion of a, of a healthy music ministry for a local church? Um, I don't know about anything unaddressed, but uh, James, one of our worship leaders, James uh, put Psalm 148 to music. And I thought, I think it's one of my favorite songs I've ever heard. And I'm not just saying that because he's, you know, part of the church, but I, I love that song. Um, you can't argue with the lyrics because it's just Psalm 148 uh, put to music. It's nothing more than that. And that's actually the song I was um, hoping to be able to play along with him. I'm, I'm not as good as him at guitar. Definitely not. So maybe I could, I'll try and add something that's halfway, halfway decent to it. But the song is great. And I think I, I really like the idea of putting, just putting the hymns uh, to music. He was actually at one time working on, I want to I want to say it was like Psalm 19, I think it was. He was going to try and put Psalm 19 to music. And he, he, he never found um, music that was worthy, he claimed. This is, this is his words. Never worthy enough uh, for that psalm because it's just such a, such a beautiful have him Have him check out Brian Suave. I think he'll, I, I can't imagine he won't be impressed. Send me, send me a, a, a link to I'd that, be, and I, I can uh, I'd be happy yeah, to. Well, I'll check that out. So. Yeah, once we get it, I'll put a link uh, in the description box for this. And um, does, is, you said James did this. Is it just like for you guys in your local body, or did you guys make a video on your YouTube channel of this, or is there a way that uh, we could we could share that one? Uh, I, I'm sure there I don't want, I, I don't want to say yes without, without first asking him, but um, probably, and I can talk to him about that, but he I think he had uh, a YouTube channel, um, James, uh, I think it was know, James Young Music or something like that. Um, he has a he has a music YouTube channel that's all about worship music. And, uh, so that, that's, that song might be on there. I don't know for sure if it is, but he, he does play it in church, uh, from time to time. Right on. Well, if I can find it, uh, we'll, we'll put a link to that as well. Otherwise, uh, again, the pursuit is something that I've, I've longed for. I, I, I love, uh, the idea of putting, um, the, the Psalms to music. Um, I'm not a musician, so it's impossible for me to do, but man, what an edifying thing to find that there's somebody else. So I, I'm eagerly looking, uh, forward to looking up uh, these recommendations of you guys. And, um, you know, I know that there is uh, um, just a, a beauty to singing what God has inspired. I know that artists often want to, to do other things, and, and I'm often disappointed um, just by the, 
the lack of content, even when we sing parts of Psalms, we, you know, we grab like one verse or a half of a verse and we kind of sing that. And, and I, that's good. Um, um, but I, I like to sing the whole thing. And I realize that there are sometimes parts in there that maybe some people are bored by. I'm not bored by it. I'm edified by the fact that God has acted in history and, and, uh, this is, um, just testimony, you know, building a monument, uh, to, to God's faithfulness over time. Um, and so, um, well, gentlemen, uh, I appreciate, uh, having this conversation with you guys. I hope that, uh, anybody who's watching this got value from this and, um, you know, maybe you're not in a position where you can make the decisions about the music ministry of your local church, but you can at least, um, be thinking about these things. Maybe you even change the pronouns when you're singing, you know, you, you look up at the screen that says, you know, Lord, I'm here to worship you. And you just see what that's like to say, Lord, we are here to worship you and, and, and to join and see how that just changes, you know, the, the, the effect of, of, of even what we're doing. That this isn't just about me and you, God, which is important, but it's even bigger. This is about what God is doing in his people. And that extends beyond the walls of our local church. And that's really the healthiest way to see it is that this body, it's not just about, you know, my local congregation, your guys' local congregations. It's about what God is doing in his people, people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and every people. And one day we will join in that never ending song, singing his praise. And boy, I cannot, I cannot wait for that. I know sometimes, you know, music ministry can be so funny. I've, I got myself into trouble for this. People came and thought they were complimenting me. They're like, ah, oh, we sing too many songs. We just like to hear you preach. I'm like, you know, in me, you know, in heaven, you're not going to hear me preach ever, but we will sing forever and ever. If you don't like singing worship to God now, like, I think you're going to hate heaven. Um, so this is such an important aspect that it actually even transcends earth. We will continue to have a healthy music ministry, singing praise to the lamb uh, forever and ever. And I eagerly look forward to that. And I thank you for your guys' perspective. And uh, again, until next time, uh, get equipped, obey your king, and glorify your God.